Brother AJ, how could this be? God created everything and then it was chaos? Well, listen, I can't explain that. And I don't know, God didn't explain it. But it's right there in the text. It's the second verse of the Bible. And here's what Moses was pointing out. Moses wasn't attempting to prove how that happened. What he was showing was that though God created everything, creation left to itself was in chaos. Mm. And so that ties directly into idol worship because you know what happens whenever you give yourself over to an idol, give yourself over to a false god, anything but God, you are separating yourself from God and that results in chaos. Welcome to the Access Youth Ministry Podcast, the podcast that believes that faith in Jesus changes things. I'm Addison Smith, and what you just heard was Brother A.J. Lutrick, a church planner to Seattle, Washington, talking about chaos. And today we're starting a new little mini-series in our new human project, and it's about chaos and order. And maybe you're out there and you feel the chaos in your own life. You, you look good on the outside, but on the inside, you're full of this meaninglessness and emptiness. And maybe you feel like this senior director from Microsoft who said this. And I've spoken to a, uh, a senior director from Microsoft who pillowed his head at night, meaning he went to bed. And even though everything was good, they had it all together. He knew that his life was in chaos. Mm. Not on the outside. I mean, he has a nice house, has yeah. a nice, nice everything. Everything's going for him. But on the inside, everything was chaos. If that's you, you're not gonna wanna miss this three-part series on how God can take chaos and bring order and meaning and fulfillment. And so without further ado, let's dive into it. All right, well, we wanna welcome today Pastor AJ, is that what they call you? Or Brother AJ? Or? Sure, I go by Brother AJ. That's that's just fine. Brother AJ is Brother AJ Lutrick. He's actually a church planner up in West Seattle. It's Seattle, but it's the neighborhood of West Seattle, Washington. And he's down with us for a church planning conference. And I wanted to steal him because he gave us a message on Monday night. You can go and watch the message if you want to at our Harvest Baptist Temple YouTube channel. It was a phenomenal message. And it was so good that I was like, man, I got to get him on the podcast talking about this. Uh, He was talking about chaos and how God can order chaos. And he was really focused in on Genesis 1. Now, if you've been listening to the podcast at all, you know we've been in Genesis for the last six or seven episodes. And so this was right up the alley of the podcast. And so we have here Mr. Brother A.J. Lutrick. And Brother A.J., how about you tell us a little bit about you know your church plan and what, what you're planning on doing up there, and then we'll get into the podcast. Okay, absolutely. Well, I want to start by saying, first of all, this whole missions conference has been a, just a huge blessing. The Harvest Baptist Temple has been... You all have been so hospitable and loving, mm. and I go to a lot of churches, and so I, I say that very genuinely. It's a very incredible church, and you're part of something fantastic here. So I'm thankful to be here, thankful for the opportunity, and it's a very exciting time for us in West Seattle. We're mm. starting our services in about two and a half weeks, April 7th. That's the Target soft launch uh, for a brand new church in a city as huge and impactful as Seattle. So you can imagine... We have a lot of excitement right now. There's a yeah. lot going on. My mind and heart is constantly there, but I'm thankful the Lord has me uh, down here with you guys. 
That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, we are praying for you, and we're we're one hundred percent behind you. And we just can't wait to see you know what God does up there in Seattle, especially using you. It's we're excited to see what He's going to do. Well, let's jump in today into the the flow of thought, I guess you could say here. And you spoke to us yesterday about Genesis chapter one, mm-hmm. and how about you just right now just start kind of giving us why you chose chapter one and then dive into and try to bring us back into this whole narrative that's going on there and how that tells us chaos, you know, and and just jump in. You know, I I can't even do it as good as you can. You just dive in, man. Okay. Well, uh, for starters, let me, uh, you asked me at lunch why I had even uh, approached Genesis one as a sermon. And to be honest, the answer to that is I have a, a goal, it's a desire, to preach through the entire Bible. That's mm. that's something I've had for a while. So it makes sense to go to the beginning, to start yeah. on page number one. And in the process of studying, Genesis 1, uh, as the word of the Lord does, it, it came alive. And in studying it out, there is so much there. There's so much in really all the Bible that you could dissect and study for weeks and months. But Genesis 1 really stuck out to me and the fact that as I was studying, I I saw in verse number two what uh, was chaos. Chaos mm. was reported. And growing up in church, I had heard Genesis 1 my entire life in Sunday school and sermons and creation conferences, went to Christian school, everything, but never came to it with that approach of there was chaos at the very beginning, at the very beginning. So mm. uh, that was very, very significant. And in the process of preaching, you always want to uh, find the context, find why it was there. And what I'm finding more and more as you study the Bible is no passage is there by accident. Everything is there to apply to us directly today. Yeah, for sure. So I guess side note, you said context is key. If you were talking to a teenager maybe or someone out there who's studying, what would you encourage them to do when they're trying to find the context themselves? Is there a resource maybe you would you recommend or something that you say, hey, mm-hmm. I know maybe you've not, you're not able to go to Bible college. Maybe you're not able to go and do this or that. But if you are able to get one book or maybe a, a, an author that I would recommend, who would that be for, for those people out there to find a resource to get to know the context themselves? Yeah, absolutely. That's a good question. And uh, it needs to be stressed. I know it is stressed here that the Bible is not – of any private interpretation. Yeah. There's there's no rule or law that says you have to go to Bible college for four, six years before you can understand what's saying. No, not at, not yeah, at all. 100%. In fact, that's the difference with, uh, with the Roman Catholics. It used to be that they were the only ones that spoke the language that the Bible was written in. And so the people were at the, the mercy of the teachers telling them, here's what it means. You can't study it by yourself. Mm. What were the exact uh, opposite? The Lord meant for the entire Bible to be understood by you, uh, but that means you might have to put a little bit of work into it as well. Yeah. Um, anything that you study, you have to give some effort. And in the process of studying, uh, a couple of things to keep in mind: the book or the Bible was written as a literary book, so it follows laws and rules. Yeah, I didn't realize that whenever I was in high school. Same, same here. I mean, to to think that the 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 classes you're taking in, in English and in English comp. Uh, they're not just to get you through school and then get you a job somewhere. No, this is this is so you can study and understand God's God's word because 
it was written with literary rules and, mm-hmm. and context. And that's where uh, studying all comes into place. So uh, whenever you're studying the context of the Bible, remember, the text comes at a certain setting. There was, it was written at a certain time and place by a certain man to a certain group of people. And whenever you understand those things, it all starts to shed light on the truth that God's showing there. Now, there's not, you won't ever arrive at a place where you know everything at all. Yeah, right. <laughs> One of my favorite stories uh, was there is a, there's a painter up in New England, and he is world famous for painting historical paintings. And he's very talented. He's given his life to it. But he paints paintings of historical scenes. Well, how could he do that? He wasn't there. He didn't see it. He didn't witness it. He wasn't alive during that time. His great-grandfather wasn't alive during that time. So how does he paint these scenes? And what he does by his own admission is he reads every single book mm. he can get his hands on uh, from that time that, that uh, is historical, sheds light on those, those stories. And what he's able to do is then paint a proper, uh, appropriate picture that accurately shows that time and place. Hmm. Now, if, if that doesn't apply to studying your Bible, I don't know what does. Yeah. As you study every single good resource the, from, uh, from commentaries to uh, textbooks, anything you can find on the Word of God, it, it won't shed everything as far as light on everything, but it, it helps to where it paints the, the full picture. Yeah, so it can kind of pull you right up next to the author, mm-hmm. and it puts you in almost the same position as the recipient. And you can you already understand who the author is, why they'd be writing it to that specific person. But I will caution those of you out there: if you're a teenager or a church member, I would before you start reading a book, run it by your pastor. You know, Absolutely. say, hey, what do you think about this author? What do you think about this resource? Mm-hmm. Because as Brother AJ was saying, he said, good resource. Yes. You know, <laughs> and uh, I even do that today. I'll run a book that I just find. I'll run it by my pastor, and I'll say, hey, what do you think about this author? Is he a good author? Are there things to be aware of? And so, uh, is there is there an author that maybe you would recommend? Is there one that comes to your mind? Oh, yes. So my my favorite by far is uh, Alan P. Ross. And, Alan P. Ross. And he's actually uh, living today. He's uh, He wasn't 200 years ago. This is a living human being. Mm. And he he wrote a commentary on the book of Genesis called Creation and Blessing. And that book was so instrumental in mm. my life. It's definitely one of the ones I recommend. And uh, to Pastor Addison's point, yes, uh, good resources right, helpful. Right. And even this one, I, I, I think it's going to be great, but I don't know what your pastor thinks. Even run that one by him and just say, Hey, mm-hmm. what do you think about this? And he might say, I've never heard of him before. And he'll take a read at it and maybe he'll love it too. Uh, but that's, that's one thing we want to make sure we're not your authority right, here, right. you know, just run it by your pastor, see what he thinks. But I think this is going to be a great resource for you. I'm looking forward to getting it myself and actually diving into this because it's when he was describing it to me, I was like, man, I, I need this. I need this. Alan P. Ross. Is that correct? correct? Yes. Man, that's exciting. And that's you, you can't continue on, man. One thing I wanted to throw in there are uh, uh, the Bible college uh, president that I had, uh, Brother Sam Davison, uh, said this, and it was, it was very, very true. It, it rung with me. He said, be a, a reader of many, but a disciple of one. So mm. read, mm. read after many authors who uh, have studied the biblical world, the context, be a reader of many, but don't be a disciple of anybody but the word of God. Yeah. That's, if there's anything I'm writing down, that's, that's a quote I want to remember, man. That's Mm -hmm. good. That is really, really good. 
But without further ado, I think let's dive into the text. Do you mind if I read through a little bit of Genesis 1? Absolutely. And then maybe you could just take it from there and try to highlight some different things. And however you want to jump off this little platform that I'm providing for you, feel free to do it. Because I literally, last night, I was just, I was soaking it in. I was soaking it in. And I want the same thing for our listeners here. And so I'll start in Genesis chapter 1, verse number 1. It says this, In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness. And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and the evening and the morning were the first day. Now, I'm going to let you take whatever you wanted out of that little spot and just start running with it. And if you want to read more, feel free. I'm just going to hand it over to you at this time, Brother AJ. Okay. Well, I'll I'll try to be careful. I don't want to necessarily re-preach all of last night's sermon. I don't want to... Uh, bog you down with that. No, bring um, it, bring all of it on. You bring it okay. all on. Bog us down, man. We <laughs> we want to hear it. Okay. Uh, so, <clears throat> what uh, Pastor Asin just read, the first five verses in the book of Genesis, that that is, uh, of course, the first day of creation, and that's where I stopped reading in the text last night. Now that that wasn't for lack of desire. If I could, if we had all evening, I'd sit there and read all of chapter number one. Chapter number two mm. is, uh, it's not. Uh, a different day. It's it's day six that's just amplified, and it's 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 fantastic material. But really, if you study Genesis one, you see that it is a pattern. Mm. So what happens on the first day is God spoke, He created, He He gave structure, He gave order, and then saw that it was good. Called the eve, uh, at the evening and the morning were the first day, second day, so on, and it repeats itself. So it's totally appropriate to take the first day and say, here's what happened. And then broadly show, and it continued. So in the in the course of studying Genesis 1, one thing I mentioned last night and we've already discussed here is you have to keep it in its context. Mm. What is going on with Genesis 1? Well, let's say you're brand new to Bible study. You just picked up the Bible. This is page one. Yeah. All right? right. I mean, literally in my Bible, it's, it's page one. So well, there's nothing that comes before Genesis. Uh, uh, at first glance, you know, it, uh, I joked last night, the table of contents, that's the only <laughs> thing that's uh, what got me through Bible college. But the, uh, the, that's the context of Genesis is still very, very clear. Mm-hmm. It's, it's very defined. It was written by Moses. Now Moses isn't even born till Exodus. So he's, uh, recounting this, uh, story as the Holy Spirit led him. We know from other passages that, the that men of God wrote as the Holy Spirit led. So mm-hmm. this is this is Moses writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, and he is writing to the nation of Israel. So where were they at at this time? What was what was the nation of Israel facing? Well, let's keep it in context. They were coming out of Egyptian slavery. They grew up as slaves. They grew up under bondage. And this is something in our American mindset we we can think about, but we can't fully comprehend. Yeah, we have jobs. You go to school. You have a taskmaster. It feels like, but it's nothing compared to having day in day out slavery. They were they were under a cruel leader and a cruel um, master in Egypt. And Egypt was known for one thing. It was known for uh, idol worship. They yeah. had idols 
everywhere. I mean, if, if you wanted to see somebody that perfected what they did, it was the Egyptians and serving their gods. Uh, I mean, even even the world that doesn't serve Christ knows that. They, they look at the tombs. They look at all the statues. They look at all of the 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 endless work that went into magnifying these these gods and they had a god for everything they i mentioned last night i have it here in my notes they had a, a god of the nile they had a god of frogs of uh, of every single thing they were passionate about their gods and it consumed them it wasn't just a a hobby because uh idol worship and you'll find this anywhere in the bible idol worship consumes you yeah now today in today's day and age our idols don't look the same, right? You know, they don't look like uh, a little in some parts of the world they do. And even in America, Absolutely. there are people who might even have idols mm-hmm. that are real, but maybe the listener out here is thinking, well, you know what? That's, that's kind of weird. I don't think that we have any of that today for you, brother AJ in your mind. If you were maybe thinking about a, a teenager or even a young adult, or I don't even know who, what, what our listeners, what their age is or anything. But if you were just to think about specific idols of today's day and age, what are some that come to your mind? Okay, yeah. So I, I mentioned this last night, and it's not original with me, but uh, idols, American idols, are more in self than they are on the shelf. Mm. Meaning, you go to other parts of the world, like you just mentioned, and there are literal idols sitting on the shelves, uh, statues made of gold or wood or whatever they can afford, but we don't, you're thinking, I don't have a statue. I don't go home and bow down to something made of silver or bronze or anything like that. So I don't have idols. No, really an idol, if you just boil it down, is anything or anyone that you give more affection, more love, more devotion, more attention to than you give to God. That's mm. an idol. Yeah. That's an idol. And that's that's prevalent. And it's even prevalent, it's sad, among the church, you know. You would, you would hope that it wouldn't be. Mm-hmm. You'd hope that it would only be outside the church and that yeah. inside the church, everybody would just be, God would be supreme, right. preeminent. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's not always the case. And sometimes, you know, it's, it's, our, it's our hobbies. Sometimes yep. it's our jobs. You know, sometimes it's a, it's a sport that we play or a, a car fascination yeah. or getting out fishing. I mean, and, yeah, this can be... This can be practical. This is where the rubber meets the road. So a youth pastor comes up and says, hey, we're going to church camp this year. Well, I got I got football practice. Whoa. whoa. Okay, so uh, there's, there's no biblical mandate to go to church camp per se, but where's your affection? Yeah. Where's your, where's your heart at? And teenagers today are more uh, exposed to this mentality of live for what you want, mm. live for what you desire. And it is it is rampant throughout our country. Look at relationships, mm-hmm. uh, teenagers that will do crazy things to get that guy or that girl to notice you. Uh, that's that's it's not just a distraction. That's an idol. It's something that you're yeah. giving affection to more than you're giving to God. And that's completely completely true. And if you're out there, trust us. This isn't the end of the conversation. There's hope, and that's what we're about to begin talking about. But I love this. 
is we've been talking about the descent of humanity from that fall into chaos, you know? And we're seeing that thread continue into Egypt. And we're seeing how humanity went from this, this ideal state in Eden where, where man was with God and they were doing exactly what God wanted him to do. They were bringing him glory by living like him and ruling like him on this earth. But then we see them make that fatal choice at the fall and we just see this downward spiral into chaos. Mm. And we're seeing this thing start to play out and, and idolatry is this form of chaos. And I want you to kind of pull on that and then lead us forward from there. Okay. Well, and if you're sitting there thinking, you might say, okay, well, this is all good and true, but we've totally left Genesis chapter number one. No, not at all. So in verse number two, it says, and the earth was without form and void and darkness was upon the face of the deep. I'll get into some specifics in a second about what that means, but we summed it up last night in the sermon just saying, okay, you know what? We could use one word to describe that chaos without form, void and darkness. So I, I tried to point this out. So, Brother AJ, how could this be? God created everything and then it was chaos. Well, listen, I can't explain that. And I don't know. God didn't explain it, but it's right there in the text. It's the second verse of the Bible. And here's what Moses was pointing out. out. Moses wasn't attempting to prove how that happened. What he was showing was that though God created everything, creation left to itself mm. was in chaos. Mm. And so that ties directly into idol worship because you know what happens whenever you give yourself over to an idol give yourself over to a false god anything but god you are separating yourself from god and that results in chaos so it's right there in genesis chapter number one verse number two now what uh what moses did here was really fascinating in the hebrew text he used two words that were a wordplay he said Creation left to itself, verse number two, the earth was tohu and bohu. And let's see, I have my, my notes here now. I'm old-fashioned. I have paper paper notes. I'm only 28, so uh, <laughs> I, I, I'm not totally in the tech age. But no, in my paper notes here, uh, the word tohu means this. It means waste, desolation, a worthless thing. All right, so I'm not, I'm not painting something that's not there. It, it's literally, that's, that's how it's translated. And the Hebrews would have heard that. It stuck out instantly. It was tohu. And then without form, that, that's without form. And void is pronounced bohu. Okay, so you, you hear it? It was tohu and bohu. And bohu means this. It means empty, empty space, ruin. So without form and void. And the original audience, again, keeping this in the context, the original audience would have heard, oh, tohu and bohu. That wasn't an accident. Moses said that on purpose. And it was showing it was complete and utter chaos. So from the very get-go, this people who came out of Egyptian slavery, this first generation uh, free society would have heard that and it would have instantly resonated with them like, okay, I know what that's like. Mm. The, the kids there in the audience, the people that were teenagers that were your age, their parents grew up as slaves. They knew what it was like to be without form. They knew what it was like to not have structure in their own lives, for their lives to have a, a complete meaningless, to, to go and to build false idols for a, a pagan ruler who does not care about you. That's, that's tohu. Mm. And bohu, it was worthless. It was void. It was empty. Mm. And so now 
And this could even, I don't know, this just popped in my mind. This, I don't, we don't know exactly when Moses wrote this, but this could right. also be for that generation who wandered in the wilderness. Oh, yeah. Having no purpose in life, mm-hmm. having no meaning, having none of that. And I was just thinking as you were talking, like, man, that's huge. And there's probably teenagers out there the exact same way. Mm-hmm. You know, they're exactly. feeling that exact same tug of worthlessness, meaninglessness. Yep. Been told they've been involved from apes and orangutans. And yeah. they think, well, if life just ends, I'm, I'm just a meaningless random blob. Right. What is the point? What's the point? Yep. It's just, it's tohu and bohu. It is, it's, it's without form. And uh, today, what so many people, uh, they, they, they look like they have their lives together. They got their, um, their shirts are ironed. They had their shoes shined. But I guarantee you, here's the thing. I'm coming down from Seattle. Okay. Yeah. So that's Microsoft country. This is Microsoft, Amazon, Starbucks, Costco. They're all headquartered right there in the city. So you know what we have a lot of? We have professional people. People that are making upwards of $500,000, dollars a year. But you know what their testimony is? And I've spoken to a, uh, a senior director from Microsoft who pillowed his head at night, meaning he went to bed. And even though everything was good, they had it all together, he knew that his life was in chaos. Mm. Not on the outside. I mean, he has a nice house, has yeah. a nice, nice everything. Everything's going for him. But on the inside, everything was chaos. And that's the total truth, you know. And I, I've heard a quote from Jim Carrey, and he said, you know, I wish, I just wish that everybody could get rich and famous and have all the popularity, everything they could ever want, basically, just so they could find out that's not the answer. Wow. You know, he said, I wish they could just have everything that their hearts desire, do mm. anything they wanted to do, just so they could realize they're still going to have that tohu and bohu, you know. There's yeah. still going to be that empty, formless, just that that wasted, I don't even know how you could even describe it better sure. than that tohu and bohu. Yeah. And so it's it's huge, and it's out there, and I bet you there's people listening saying, yes, that's me. Yep. That's me. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I don't mean to deviate from, from Genesis, but this is probably the most appropriate time to mention Solomon. Uh, mm. it, it's, it's hard to put an exact pencil to what his value was, but I've uh, studied it out a little bit and came to the conclusion that maybe, and this is probably holding back a little bit, he was worth upwards to $850 billion. So yeah. Jeff Bezos, again, based in Seattle is worth at one point he was worth about 160 billion and he's the richest man on the planet. Uh, That's only 160. Solomon was 850 billion. And you know what his conclusion was? It's all vanity. Mm. It's void. It's empty. It's bohu. Yeah. It's completely meaningless. And one thing that this has always stuck out to me, Solomon had those riches. So what makes us think that we'll ever, outdo Solomon. I mean, the the only way we could outdo Solomon is if we had more money than him. And right now the richest man in the world is worth like a seventh of that. Yeah. So the odds aren't very good. It's impossible. It's impossible. But I love what you were saying. You know, Solomon said that what was out there was this vanity, you know, it's hevel. That's the word Mm. in Hebrew. It's the smoke. It's this vapor. Mm. It looks solid, but when you try to grab it, it's just nothing, you know? And what's on the outside though, if it becomes your idol, so you become like that and mm. you feel that hevel on the inside. You feel that yeah. tohu and bohu on the inside because what you worship is what you become like. Right. And I love how, you know, these people, they're looking to all these different idols that Solomon concludes 
worthless. Right. They're not, they have no form. They're void. They're, they're vanity. And if you set these as your king, if you set riches as your king, if you set popularity as your, your aim in life, it's going to be a cruel taskmaster. Right. And you're going to end up confused, feeling worthless and empty. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, what's, what's interesting kind of, uh, going right back into Genesis one, we've been talking for uh, several minutes now and we're on verse two. So, uh, if, if you're, if you're out there and you're listening, I know for, for the most part, especially as a teenager, whenever I was reading through the Bible or attempting to read through the Bible in a year, I'm done with verse two in the first 10 seconds. Yeah, right, and then right. you move on. We, we've been talking this whole time about this, but you know, here's what Moses was doing. He was setting the stage showing everything left to itself was in chaos. And we have to understand that before we move forward, yeah. before we know why he wrote the rest of this and where ultimately, uh, this is this is the cool thing. I don't mean to jump ahead, but how everything ties together. Because you know the rest of human history is going to be dealing with chaos. You don't uh, think about the the best of times and the the best of situations. There's still chaos there. There's still chaos present, and this is uh, this is what Moses was getting at, and it, it's it's very clearly there in scripture. That is totally true. That is totally true, and I think that's going to be all for today. So thanks, brother AJ, for coming on. I, we're going to continue this series, and you're going to want to stick around uh, next week and maybe even the weeks to come on this chaos and how God brings order to chaos. Amen. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for listening. I hope this was a help to you. I know I enjoy talking with Brother AJ. He's a solid guy, and there is much more to come. And so if you're out there and you feel like your life is in chaos, if you feel like you feel empty inside without meaning and purpose, next week we're going to begin talking about how God takes this chaos and brings structure, and he gives you fulfillment, and it's so rich, and it's so good. And I know it's true because I've experienced it myself. And if you're a teenager out there, keep going, keep studying, God's word. God has big plans for you and we'll see you in the next episode.